Managing Violence Podcast, Season 6, Episode 3, with former UFC fighter and Special Forces soldier, Mr. Tim Kennedy. Like, you have to be the strongest link in the chain, but you're just a link. And like, if you are the weakest link, everyone below you and connected to you is going to die. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Managing Violence Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Saunders. Man, have we got a great show today. I'm excited, I'm excited. I know a lot of you are excited too. There have been few names that have been mentioned as often in the guest requests as Mr. Tim Kennedy. If you don't know who Tim is, uh, well, I'd be very surprised given that you're listening to this podcast, but on the off chance you don't know who Tim is, he's a former UFC fighter, he's a former special operations soldier, he still deploys now at age 40, even though he's retired from a, a, well, successful athletic career at the highest level of his sport. He teaches other people what to do in the event of crisis and, and uh, high stress situations with sheepdog response. He started a clothing line, uh, and as I said, he still goes out and fights bad guys. He has real combat experience, he's been blown up, he's been shot at, he's He's taken lives, he's seen people die, uh, and he's also fought for world titles in front of thousands of people in a cage with other trained killers. It's a pretty interesting story, and uh, there's a lot to learn from Tim's experiences. Uh, Tim was very generous uh, to come on the show. Uh, we had a very compressed time frame that we could work with, so it's not quite as long as some of my other interviews, but I'm sure uh, what it lacks in length, it will make up for in value but before we jump into that, I need to extend a couple of thank yous and a short shout out to our newest Patreon tribal elders. And they are Mr. Nick Wyborn and Mr. Scott Klein. Thank you for joining us, folks. Uh, you, I hope you get a lot of value. And uh, a new feature for tribal elders. That's a $10 a month price range. If you go to patreon.com forward slash managing violence and kick in 10 bucks a month, from now on, you will also receive the raw, unedited video footage of the interview taking place. Now, most of my guests, I record in video and only upload the audio. Uh, there are some occasions where I can only record in audio because we're using a phone or something on those lines. But nearly always there is a video file which typically just gets deleted uh, because it's it's often you know, it's not my broadcast quality. But uh, it could be quite interesting to see what ends up on the cutting room floor, what gets edited out. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in that, you can receive those as a tribal elder, along with all the other perks. But that's a new perk that I'm introducing from this episode onwards. So if you want to hear my raw, unedited conversation with Tim, feel free to sign up over at www.patreon.com forward slash managing violence. And the last announcement before we get into the show... The whole team at Risk to Solution and R2S Academy are such big fans of Tim Kennedy and Sheepdog Response that we want to get on the action as well. So we've created a couple of coupons for you. First things first, if you head to r2s.academy, you can get 10% off any of our courses by entering the coupon code JOEMVP. That's J-O-E-M-V-P. At checkout, you'll get 10% off any course. So whether you're interested in active armed defender, general security and safety awareness, emergency management, fire and evacuation training, uh, armed robbery, aggressive behavior management, whatever it is you're interested in, all those courses are 10% off at r2s.academy with the coupon code JOEMVP. 
And you know what? Just because it's a special day, anyone who emails me at joe at joesaunders.com.au, the first five people to email me at that address with the subject line free course, I'll also hook you up with a free login for our flagship personal risk management training course at $70 value. I'll give away five of them to the first five people at joe at joesaunders.com.au, subject line free course. All right, that's enough for me. Let's get to Mr. Tim Kennedy. All right, I'm joined here by Tim Kennedy. Tim is a retired MMA fighter and Special Forces soldier. He's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a black belt in Matt Larson's Modern Army Combative System, a black belt in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, a three-time U.S. Army Combative Champion. He's fought in the UFC, Strike Force, and the IFL. For, uh, for anyone who remembers the IFL. As an entrepreneur, he's the co-owner of Ranger Up Apparel and the founder of Sheepdog Response. He's a star of Hunting Hitler on the History Channel, as well as the Hard to Kill on the Discovery Channel. Perhaps most importantly, he's a devoted husband and father. Back in season one, Matt Larson outlined what it meant to be the warrior in the room. And uh, Tim Kennedy, you may be the living embodiment of that concept. So, Tim, thanks <laughs> for joining me here on the Managing Violence podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's a great intro. I feel cool right now. <laughs> well, I, I think there's enough media out there outlining that you're you're a cool dude uh, without me having to contribute an intro. For anyone in the uh, in the room who uh, is listening to this podcast who hasn't heard of Tim Kennedy, uh, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Tim, you, you're probably the most requested guest we've ever had. I do need to give a shout out to Max McGregor. Max is a, is an Aussie veteran. He is possibly your biggest fan in the entire world. Uh, Max is a black belt in Krav Maga, one of my training partners. He has been pushing me to get Tim on the show since the very, very beginning. Uh, he's tried reaching out through Twitter to Sheepdog Response. He's been like trying every possible angle to get Tim on the show, and he it will make his life if I give him a shout out while talking to Tim. So, g'day, Max. We made it happen. Max, thank you. You're awesome. <laughs> Look, uh, we've, we've got a focused period of time and uh, I, I know you've done a ton of media and your story is, is all out there. There's a lot of videos. There's, there's a whole goddamn documentary about you. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of your story that's out there already. So I want to be a little bit specific if we can and, and try, try and drill down on some specific concepts. One of the things that's always impressed me about you and your material, uh, especially what you've been doing with Sheepdog Response, is that your the the mental toughness and the self reliance side of what you try and instill in people? Uh, you know, not not waiting for someone to come and save you, uh, being skilled yourself, and also being able to protect yourself and protect others in your community. I think that's that's really noble, and it's it's really the heart of this show as well. Is trying to encourage people to to uh, to look out for themselves and and to be, as Matt would say, the the warrior in the room. I know in your London Real interview, which is excellent, by the way, everyone should go and check that out. But uh, in your London Real interview, you talk talk a bit about your father uh, and growing up uh, and sort of the example that was set for you. Would you mind just sort of unpacking that a little bit? So, uh, um, For those who haven't heard the interview, tell a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up for you. Yeah, I, I came from an extraordinary family with um, extraordinary uncles and extraordinary parents and extraordinary grandparents that, you know, my grandparents, the greatest generation, you know, lived through the American Depression, went to fight in World War II. My grandma was, you know, making tin cans that was going to have food shipped over to soldiers fighting in Germany or Japan. Um, my grandpa was repairing radio equipment on 
you know, B-17 and B-25 bombers. Um, and uh, my dad was a narcotics officer that, uh, you know, his accolades are, are superior to mine in the things that he did in, in his grown up adult world. Um, you know, my brother's amazing. My sister. So I, I was surrounded by all these amazing people and, you know, there, there was, you know, remarkable circumstances and things that happened from, you know, like bringing my dad uh, dinner to work one time. And, um, you know, he had pallets of kilos of cocaine and pallets of kilos of cash. I'm not sure if you've ever seen cash wrapped into a kilo. Um, but it's, it's a pretty cool thing. You know, they're all sitting around with MP5, H&K machine guns, um, guarding this stuff, waiting for the federal government to come and move it. And, um, you know, that was like me bringing my dad dinner and uh, going before that where, you know, he flew to the Caribbean and uh, was part of a buy where they purchased a plane full of cocaine from Pablo Escobar to bring it to the United States to distribute. Um, obviously the intent was to capture the guy selling it in Costa Rica and then ultimately um, find all the distribution distribution channels here in the United States. So um, this, this was really common place for me to grow up in these like remarkable ways in these remarkable circumstances. And it wasn't weird to me. Um, you know, the, the thing that was imparted onto all of us, this next generation, all of my cousins are similarly successful as is my brother and my sister, uh, you know, was the, the idea of individual responsibility. You know, you, you talked about like the tenets of, of sheepdog response, how we you know, like, nobody's going to come and save you. And like that, that's an expression that people use for marketing. Um, but it's also the truth. And in my life where, you know, I, the things that I've done, the things that I've seen and the places that I've gone, um, like it is, it has rung true, not just in fighting for your life or protecting your life. Like there's nobody going to be in the octagon to do the fight for you. There's nobody going to be in a canyon of Afghanistan to save you. Um, but entrepreneurially, um, philanthropically, like all of those things are like, what are you as an individual going to be able to contribute? And that was the expectation by my family growing up was you are going to be a contributing member to this family, to society, and ultimately to this world. Yeah, and that's incredible. Like the the, the level of role models that you had around you, uh, it, it really it really goes to show how much impact that that environment can have. When it comes to mental fortitude, I mean, you, you, uh, you've obviously got it ingrained in you that you, you are going to live a life of service. You, you're going to service other people. You're going to service your community. You're going to be a, a person who contributes. Obviously, growing up in competitive sport and then, uh, and then joining the military, mental toughness was something that you had to lean on. Do you recall how that was developed? Like, is it something that just kind of happened based on your environment or is it something that you, you remember defining moments that made you tougher and more committed to achieving things? I'm uh, going to try to stay in as PC as possible. No, without feel, throwing, feel free not to. <laughs> throwing stones at this generation. Um, <laughs> if I had walked home with a participation trophy, um, not only would it have gone in the trash, I would have probably ended up Either, either getting scuffed up or going for a run. Um, you know, like you, you don't bring that filth into this house. Uh, my, my dad was not abusive. There was not abusive bone in his body. Everything that he did 
was to impart individual ability. And um, so there was no celebration for mediocrity. Like there, there was no, if this is the standard, like if this is the minimum to pass, and if I even suggested, alluded, inferred that all I was going to do was the bare minimum, I mean, there was trouble coming. Yeah, I, I lost my first wrestling match. I got match. I got pinned. Um, you know, and um, you know, my dad was like, you know, I'm, I'm proud that you put in the work to make it here. Um, I'm disappointed with you and for you for what happened. Um, how do you think you can get better in your next match? Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna work harder. Well, that's right, son. You are going to have to work harder. Otherwise, it will always end up just like that. Now, in current day parenting, that might sound really brutal. Um, that, and I, I'm, that was a real situation and a real example, but that went for everything in my life, mm -hmm. right? Like if, if I were to wear um, a merit badge for something that I didn't do, oh, man, like, you know, or if I just like, uh, you know, if you're going to wear the like, helping the elderly and i went and i write, wrote a letter and i dropped it off at um a a home and i didn't do anything there's no way my dad would let me wear that right like i would have to go mow their lawn um take out their trash uh you know weed eat clean their like all the things that they can't do and that's the point of that thing so it wasn't just it wasn't just like the the acknowledgement it was the purpose behind it and we had to understand that purpose. And um, like obviously special forces, it's, it's a different animal um, where the consequence for not being able to do a thing could be death. And um, so in every single phase of training, they, they brutalize you, they humiliate you and they break you down. And the realization at the end of this is like, it's not so that they can build you into this like, robot that does these horrible things for the you know like the government war complex like it could not be further from the truth they break you down so that one you understand the value of humanity and you really appreciate how beautiful we as a species are but then you also know that you can't do it by yourself like you have to be the strongest link in the chain but you're just a link and like, if you are the weakest link, everyone below you and connected to you is going to die. And ultimately, that individual responsibility of how strong can I make that one link is part of a bigger chain is paramount. Yeah, one of the things I can see, just even just looking at your career, even just looking at the resume that uh, and I, I gave like the very, very brief cliff notes at the very beginning, you've never been satisfied just being average, or even average good. It was, uh, I, need, I need to keep pushing for something more. It's not enough to serve, I need to be special forces. It's not enough to wrestle, I need to win. It's not enough to be an MMA fighter, I need to be in the UFC. Was that from your childhood? Was that, was that from always pushing to be more, to find your limits, to break those limits? Have you ever had lukewarm champagne? <laughs> yes. Yes. Was it good? Was it good? <laughs> well, it depends how many cold champagnes I had first. Yeah. What, what about uh, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea? No, I'm not throwing stones. Um, you know, served at a good 84 degrees. Does that sound good? It's disgusting. It is. Right? Yeah. Like uh, having cornflakes 
with old milk every single day. Like, why would you want to live in, in to me, that's purgatory. Like if yeah. I were to live in like the perfect, normal, stereotype, suburban, going to drive this, going to do this, going to work to nine to five, you know, I'm going to like maybe every other week get to have sex with my kind of hot wife, um, with my kids that are kind of assholes. Um, <laughs> that literally sounds like hell. Yeah. Right. And the only way that you can have the super hot wife that's like wicked smart and live in the big house and, you know, drive whatever you want to drive. Um, my dad was a cop. Like he, what the, that, that's where I came from. Like I, I and talk about how incredible he is and my parents and my grandparents and my uncles. But I mean, we lived off of a salary of like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year yeah. with three kids. Yeah. And like there, there was no trust fund. There was no paid for college. Like I had to work and pay for every single college credit out of pocket while I was going to college, while I was fighting. So like the, the, the end result is you really learn to appreciate something that, that you earned and that you worked for and it's special. And then in my life, there's been such contrast where I'm overseas and, you know, talking about coming home to my super hot wife you know, and I'm looking at a goat and a super nasty dude that's per pooping in an MRE bag next to the Humvee that's parked next to the mountain. Cause that's the only place that we could poop. Otherwise we're going to get shot. Like the contrast of coming home and smelling, you know, like her hair, um, the shampoo in it, um, her, the lotion for her skin, clean, soft, nice sheets in a big bed. Like I've slept on the ground for the past six months and now I come home. So yeah, normal might feel okay when everything has been so shitty, mm. but amazing and remarkable and incredible and delicious and fantastic and orgasmic and you know like who wants to be satiated like i would rather be like overwhelmed with complete euphoric nirvana wow. you gotta work for that shit <laughs> man i love that that's uh it's so well said the managing violence podcast is brought to you by australian warfighters coffee now, as you guys know, I interview guests from all over the world, which means that I'm quite frequently working on this show either very early in the morning or very late at night. So between a full-time job, an unusual schedule, and four children, I consume a lot of coffee. And uh, given that I live in the coffee capital of Australia, I can be a little bit picky with what I choose to consume for my caffeine, depending on what's available at the time and how urgently I need it. But Australian Warfighters Coffee not only make a top-notch blend... Uh, but they also give back to the Australian veteran community uh, by investing in training, education, and employment for our Aussie troops. So we'd like you to support those that support us and in turn help Aussie veterans with the transition into civvy life. Check out www.australianwarfighters.com to find out more or to purchase their epic coffee. As we welcome them into the team into the tribe of the Managing Violence podcast. If any of our listeners out there purchase anything from AustralianWarfighters.com, send me your receipt to joe at joesaunders.com.au and I will send you an Australian Warfighters Velcro patch to throw on your gear and rep the brand publicly. We thank them for their service and for supporting the show. Let's talk a little bit about stress. Uh, you're a man who has, uh, you know, you've been blowing up, you've been shot at, uh, you've had prolonged periods where you thought you might die any second and you've fought in front of thousands of people in a cage with another trained killer. You probably have a relationship with stress that many of us don't want to have. Talk us through that. Like, let's, let's, let's talk about war first. Hmm. 
you grew up in a, uh, in a in a high performance environment, but it was, a, from what I understand, a, a fairly stable environment. It wasn't like you, you grew up under threat necessarily. What was it like going to war for the first time? Um, it, it felt home. So the first time the helicopter, the Black Hawk, uh, being flown by a 160th soar, uh, we're, we're coming in, everything's black, right? And the only thing that you see is green and different shades of green. As the helicopter flared to slow down, it creates this big brownout from the rudder wash and it kicks up all the dirt. And when you're in Afghanistan, or this was Iraq, um, it's like moon dust. It's not sand. Like, you know, people think, you know, if you're in Australia, New Zealand, California, Florida, like sand. Yeah, I know what sand is like. No, I'm talking about moon dust. Mm. I'm talking like dust that black, black, blackens everything out. And that's what it's like there. And that dust gets kicked up. And you see this static electricity of the friction of the rotor blades hitting that dust. And it creates this really weird green halo. And you're looking out and you're seeing these tiny little flashes. And um, that's just the static energy of the dust with the rotor wash. But then further out from that brownout, you see other flashes. And then you hear like, you know, that was 7.62 by 3.9 machine gun rounds zipping by us as it passed. They can't see anything, but they're shooting at the sound, right? And um, so I take off towards the sound or the sight of those, those green flashes up on top of the hill um, in these buildings. And I look to my left and I look to my right. And you know, this is my first time in combat. This is my first time being shot at. And there's dudes ahead of me. You know, and first, remember that I'm an incredible athlete. I grew up in an athlete household. Um, I come from athlete pedigree. I have been an athlete since I was five years old. And, um, you know, my brain, having been a firefighter, a police officer, an EMT, my brain works fast. It's, nor it's normal. And there's dudes ahead of me, right? And I'm like, I'm at home. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. No, nobody told, told me to run towards the side of, gun, or the side of gunfire. Um, but there were 11 dudes to my left and right that were all doing the same thing. And it was the first moment of affirming that I'm doing the right thing. And um, it's, it was a surreal realization. Like I wasn't like existential and I could look down at myself and be like, yeah, God did this. You know, it was hell yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Doing what you're put on the earth to do. Yes. That's pretty incredible. You've uh, you've mentioned before uh, that you're involved in a an incident where uh, I believe your patrol hit an IED, which led into a three day gunfight. Was that the first time that you really felt like like death is imminent? So in Iraq, I was part of this task force that were all pipe hitter superstar tier one units, and we're going after a really bad guy the number one bad guy in all of Iraq. So we had all the assets, right? We had all the air, we had all the support, we had all the cool gadgets. And um, like, we literally just kicked ass for five months. And then you go to Afghanistan and you know, you're working with the coalition. So I was co-located with a, a foreign special operations unit. Um, they're like the one American, the LNO, between the special forces ODA, the A-team, and this coalition unit so when we get blown up there's no like black helicopter with extra gunfighters being dropped in here you know it's like good luck guys hope you don't die 
And, um, you know, I thought I was going to die. So did everybody in there. Matter of fact, I'm in the middle of writing a book and um, we just wrote that chapter. And um, Kevin Keyes at the time, he was uh, a major who, who is still an incredible military officer to this day. He's still in, in his military mind and he was kind of in charge of everything. Uh, he doesn't know how we live. Any of us like that day. He's like, like it, it's, 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 it's the question that it's the itch that he can't scratch for the rest of his life. Cause the, the formula doesn't add up, you know, we all should have died in that Valley. And, um, it's, it's scary. And that was the first time where I was like, you know, I don't get to see my wife again. Um, I'm never going to fight again. And uh, I'm never going to see my kids again. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get to keep doing what I was put on this earth to do. I guess after you live through that, everything else seems to feel like the volume has been turned down uh, to, to use the, the fight club analogy. Did, did that, uh, did that change your relationship with professional fighting? So I know you were a fighter before you went to war um, you come back, you're fighting still. Did, did that change that, that mental experience of, of fighting in a sporting environment? I think up to that, I was a pretty selfish person. And I'm not saying after that, I had it all figured out. But it really made me change how I viewed everything. Because I, I saw things and did things that, um, I'll regret forever, but I also, in, in the contrast, right, of cold and hot and, and light and dark and extreme ends of, of this life, um, I, I saw the best and worst of humans in those times. Um, you know, little kids running to protect their little sisters, old men running to protect their neighbors, and, you know, selfless sacrifice by all the guys to my left and my right that I didn't deserve to be with. So the worst and the best, I got to see it all. So coming out of that, you know, like, yes, I was absolutely changed. Did it change me as a fighter? No, it changed me as a person. I, I imagine that, I mean, I think if you can go into that kind of environment and come out unchanged, then uh, you, you may have been a little bit damaged before you went in there. It's, uh, yeah. it's <laughs> there may have been something wrong to begin with. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, about what you're doing now uh, and the lessons you're trying to give people that haven't had those experiences. What was the origin of sheepdog response? Uh, so army special forces, they are force multipliers, um, whether, you know, counterinsurgency, guerrilla warfare, unconventional warfare, whatever slogan you're going to tag on what we do is you take a few of us, you put us into a place where a bunch of bad things are happening. And there's a group of people that don't like those bad things. And then we show them how to fight it. We show them how to fight for themselves. We show them how to fight for their freedom. Um, we show them how to fight. And so that is what a Green Beret does. Coming back from trips overseas where I was doing that, that, that was the role, that was the capacity that I was in, whether that's Iraq or Afghanistan or South America or Africa or Europe. While I was over there, I would see Columbine or you know, the Pulse nightclub or the Boston Marathon bombing or the, the list just goes on and on. The Marine um, 5K, um, the San Bernardino Christmas party shooting. Um, and, you know, there's too many schools shootings to list. And I would, I would come back with a heavy heart of like, why couldn't I have been there? 
You know, like if I, if I was there, if I was at the Pulse nightclub and that asshole went to walk in there um, or Aurora at the, the launching of Batman Begins and a dude throws a gas canister in there, you know, like while everybody's screaming and losing their minds, um, like I might have to hide my erection because it was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. You know, like this asshole is about to have a really short fight and I'm going to, you know, get to be the hero and go home to, to my hot woman again. Um, that was the genesis of it was the realization that I can't be everywhere, but I can train somebody that could be. And why would I do this overseas for people that, you know, if we look at history, I might eventually have to fight anyways. Um, why couldn't I do that for just fellow patriots? You know, like not just Americans, like we do people from all over the world that just want to fight to protect them and theirs. Like this is not a militia. This is not violent skills this this is a movement of people that just value life our motto is protect and preserve human life that is our mission statement of the company and you know when you look at the guys you know jeff teagues that runs guardian group counterhuman trafficking sex trafficking you know he's one of our instructors former delta force guy matt smith 20 plus year special forces sergeant major um, dennis jones from cid mp you know working for the pentagon protecting joint chiefs of staff people like these are the people that all have that same string attached to their soul to their heart where they have to do this and they don't know how well this we've figured out that this is the best opportunity the best conduit to give this information to people that could use it and hopefully save and protect life all life right like i'm not talking any specific life all religions all genders all colors all hair, hair colors all everybody's life. We protect life. Man, and I love that as the ethos of your company as well, because being around this, you know, martial arts and, and self-protection and prepper world for a while now, you, you find there's, there's a, a percentage that, like you, you feel like the only reason they're in it is because they actually hate people. <laughs> like they, they, <laughs> like they, they like hurting people and this is like quasi justifiable reason to practice it. Whereas your ethos is actually the opposite. You love people and you want to protect people. Uh, and yeah. I think that, well, one, it's a hell of a lot healthier. And two, I like, it's, it's just a really wholesome way of, of looking at what we do. I wish more people had that attitude that you know, what, what we're actually contributing to society by, by studying this stuff is not to make more violence, but to actually make less violence. Yeah. It's, it's the same, you know, as we're in a really sensitive time, um, Black Lives Matter and Tifa, you know, that same mentality for training law enforcement where, you know, I'm not training law enforcement how to do these things so they can hurt people. I'm training the law enforcement so they know how to protect and help people, you know, and, and the only way that, because there are bad police officers out there. There's also bad soldiers out there. There's also really bad selfish fighters out there. Um, in the right environment, those bad, those bad people can't exist. They, um, there's not room for them. Like on a special forces ODA, if you were a, asshole and you showed up and you're going to be the tough guy there like you're going to have a really really rough go at it you know not, not like a soap and a sock but <laughs> maybe, maybe worse like way worse <laughs> you, know? you won't be there like if you're a racist asshole you're going to be gone like we literally train every single day about how to kill somebody and how to fight somebody and how to fight wars and how to train other people to do that but i argue 
there's not a single person on the planet that values human life more than those people. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. When you're training someone who uh, hasn't had the life experience or hasn't got that mental toughness that, that comes from adversity and comes from, from overcoming obstacles and maybe doesn't handle stress very well, but they've signed up for a sheepdog response training, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you help that person, I guess, uh, tap into that inner strength a little bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you said it in your question, somebody that hasn't overcome adversity. So you have to do hard things. You have to face adversity. That's it. You can see from my life and my, and my resume, I go out and find hard things. You know, it's like, I've learned how to fly a helicopter right now. That's a hard thing to do. I'm yeah. 40 years old, you know, like um, that owned six businesses and I still deploy and I'm learning to fly a helicopter because it's hard, you know, and, and, and the specific helicopter that I chose to fly, like I could fly anything I want. Um, and there are way better helicopters than the one that I'm learning in. But the one that I'm learning in is the hardest helicopter there is to learn how to fly in. And that's the reason why. Like, I don't want to do something I know I can do because that won't make me better as a person. And then everybody else can do it too. Yeah. You know, I want to do things that I don't know if I can do. And even in failure, I will have growth as an individual. Like, even if I don't accomplish it, like facing that problem and, and, and losing to it. And then being able to rally and try to figure out if I can do it a different way. You're like, hell yeah. Give me more of that. Damn, dude. Talking to you makes me feel like such a lazy pussy. <laughs> uh, man, there's so many lessons to, pack, to take from that in all areas of life, not just whether you can manage an active shooter situation, but just like how are you going to manage stress generally? Everything about life is, is better on the other side of this stuff, mm. right? Um, like the food tastes better. Like when, when you work out hard, like I can't go and eat some fried sugary crap. It, it'll be disgusting. Like my mouth, I, mean, yeah, I can't even think about it. Like right now, as we're talking, if we walked out to my Traeger barbecue, sitting on top of it is two chicken halves. So like a half, a chicken cut in half, um, being smoked at 225 degrees. And it's going to sit out there for two hours. We're coming out of a bottle of wine you know, a bunch of avocado, a big salad, um, you know, maybe some chocolate, some dark chocolate after dinner, you know, maybe, I don't know. Um, and it all tastes so good. You know, like, you know, hard sex is when your libido's in the tank because you're overweight and you haven't been exercising, you know, inversely to, and I work out six days a week. So does my wife. Libido is kind of high through the roof and we're both super hot and we can do like, well, should I pick her up? You know, like, one-handed do something other something awesome with my other hand you know like maybe hold her against the wall you know like maybe she's gonna hold me against the wall i don't know you know <laughs> but like everything is awesomer everything is cooler and everything is more fun on the far side of all that adversity and on the far side of all that hard work um or you could live in that lukewarm corn cornflakes corn <laughs> no and, and now we've discovered why tim has four kids <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, Tim, let's do, uh, you know, sort of to take the conversation a little bit darker, but I'd really like to, um, to get your thoughts on uh, PTSD and de dealing with trauma um, after, after an incident, whether, whether it's uh, from the military context, whether it's someone who's been involved in a, in a situation they weren't prepared for. 
what are your thoughts on on how to manage that uh, and just your experiences? I'm sure, you know, given what you've been through and given the people that you know and the, that you're close with, it's something that's way close to your heart. Yeah. Um, so first, dealing with PTSD happens before the incident occurs. Um, the, the people that deal with, you know, we're talking about stress, external stress. Um, the people that deal with serious stressful situations are, and, and deal with them well, are very healthy, functional people, like interpersonal skills developed, educated, um, exercise, good diet, um, not alcoholics, you know, not diabetics, not obese. So when we have to go and see these horrific things, we have a lot of coping mechanisms that are already highly developed, and we're able to, to do that. But if you take a National Guardsman that is overweight, that works a part-time job as an air conditioner, air conditioned repairman, and he's over in Iraq driving a truck, and, the, and he hits an IED, and the dude next to him pretty much vaporizes and turns to mist, and he's covered with his own you know, crap and maybe some of that cerebral spinal fluid. Um, like that guy's going to have a really difficult time dealing with that situation if he survives it because he's going to pretty much be like lizard brain for the next two days until things start functioning highly. Um, and whereas like I'm driving in a truck, you know, graduate educated guy, highly functional interpersonal development um, very healthy. I eat clean, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. Um, and like, yeah, it sucks. Like my friend just died, but the healthy way that I'm going to deal with that, like how I'm going to mourn, um, is going to be way, way better. So then bad thing happens. What do you do? Well, one, everything about postponing pain doesn't postpone it it actually delays it to make it worse. Like the onset of something bad, um, the longer that is offset, the more it just keeps building and building. Um, so having people you can talk to, I, I think that healing is way easier with sweat. You know, like the more you sweat, the less you bleed. And then afterwards, the more you sweat, the faster you heal. And um, so that's a lot of exercise. That's a, that's a lot of clean living. Um, I had a really, I heard a bunch of women and children in Afghanistan, um, a, a terrorist, a foreign fighter took a, a PKM machine gun, stuck it out a window and started shooting at my friend, Mike Global, Global, Global and I, and, um, I mean the door that we were standing in front of just was being shredded with 762 by 5.4 traveling to, you know, 2,900 feet per second, just destroying this door that we are standing at. And how we didn't die, I don't know. Um, so we like, kick open the door, and I, I see this machine gun still just hammering us. And I chuck a grenade through that window where that machine gun was. And of course, this asshole has barricaded women and children around him. And um, you know, like the regret and pain that you know, nightmares and, and really normal. You know, you, you said yourself, you know, somebody that doesn't come out of that unchanged is not a healthy person. Like I came out of that situation very, very changed, you know, and hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, I drank to try to dilute it and I tried to, and all it did was postpone it. And, um, 
So like I'm, I'm speaking not from my high castle. I'm speaking from experience, firsthand experience that, you know, the only way to deal with problems are turn and face them. The longer you wait, the longer you dilute, the longer you postpone, the worse they're going to be. So, you know, finding somebody you can talk to, working out, living clean, that is a, a recipe for success. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting perspective because uh, I, I've asked several people about their thoughts on, on this subject um, and uh, no one has ever said it starts before the incident. Uh, and uh, that's, it makes so much sense, uh, but I've never heard anyone say that before. And I, and I think when you look at um, quote unquote regular civilians um, who, who will sometimes put their head in the sand and say, well, I can't possibly prepare for that because who knows if I'm ever going to be involved in an incident that's going to, well, you can still prepare for it. You, Absolutely. You, you can still be healthy. You can still look after your own mental health. You can still look after your own coping mechanisms about when you have a bill you weren't expecting. Like you, you can, you can still practice this. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. I mean, with COVID right now, you know, you're, you're seeing the spike in suicides and spike in depressions and you're going to see, um, and you see a ton of antidepressants being prescribed right now. Um, high divorce rates, um, high, high domestic violence rates. You know, like, what, what I see, is a bunch of people that had been failing at life before. You know, they, they were failing when that stress hit. And like, can you prepare for a pandemic? Yeah, yes, you can. You know, like, can you prepare for losing your job? Yes. Can you prepare for maybe not being able to go buy groceries or toilet paper? Yes. Those are all things like, you don't know you can't prepare for everything. And if you're living your life in fear, that is even worse than, than not being able to respond in a healthy way to the, the problem that's at hand, but being a high functioning person that you can um, adapt, your ability to adapt is really comes down to the training that you've put into yourself. Like, you know, like you could ask all of my friends, um, you know, that are pretty similar to me, you know, from Justin and Theo and Dennis and Matt and Jeff. Um, they're like, you know, how was home life during, you know, locked in for a few months. So like, it was fine. I got a lot of projects done. You know, I got a lot of work done. Got, you know, like in my case, I got to, you know, get halfway through writing my book. Um, you know, I was able to prepare for launching a new company. Um, you know, like inversely go to talk to somebody else and they're like, Oh, I hate my kids. You know, I've been trying to work from home and I, you know, I, I regretfully had to beat him a couple of times and I hit him one time in the face. You know, I was like, you're a really bad person. I don't know if you know this, you know, and, and, and what we're seeing right now is just an opportunity for how unhealthy you were as a person to, to be demonstrated. Yeah. Like it, you should have prepared for all this before. <laughs> so professionally, I'm a, I'm a management and, and crisis consultant, I guess is probably the, probably the, the easiest way to, to explain it. And, uh, we're dealing with a lot of businesses and like, Oh, we couldn't have foreseen this was coming. It's like, yeah, you could have, I mean, yeah, like you can have systems in place to deal with crisis. You don't have to know exactly what the crisis is going to be. Like it wouldn't have mattered if this was COVID or, you know, um, <laughs> or, or was Ebola. Like, you know, like things are going to be yeah. the same. Like it's, you're going to have to practice for upheaval. And it's a corporate sense as well as a, as well as a personal sense. I'm really excited about this book though. Was, that was one of the questions I had for you. Uh, I didn't know you were writing a book, but uh, I was, going to ask you to because uh i've read i've read some of the things you've written over the years and uh I, I, tell us about the book tell, tell us what the what the plan is writing sucks <laughs> um, yeah 
uh, also when you're talking about yourself, um, it's so exposed, you know, like all of my failures and, and, you know, really the, the, the point of it is like, this is not a, a bravado. I'm an A type man that did all these things. Like most of the book is my failings. And there's a lot of them that you can write an entire book about, you know, uh, starting as a teenager where I had a couple of women pregnant, I thought I had AIDS and I take all of my clothes off and I walk into the Pacific ocean. I start swimming West, um, into the fog and, um, you know, how to rebound from, and that was not even, that was not rock bottom yet, by the way. Um, how do you Man, re- so many questions I'd like to ask about that story. Yeah. How do you rebound from that to, you know, fighting for world titles and running companies and, um, and really it's, it's what we've been talking about. It's about adversity and overcoming adversity. And, but there's so much failure and there's so much adversity in my life um, that the book is hopefully an inspiration story about it doesn't matter what your circumstances, it doesn't matter what your environment is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic class is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. Um, find hard shit and do it. Um, and then you see me do it and fail mostly. I failed enough book. stuff. Eventually you're going to, you're going to succeed at some of it. Maybe. Yeah. We'll <laughs> see. You know, I still got 40 years of life left. So I got a lot, a lot of failing to do. <laughs> uh, that's a that's an awesome note to leave the uh, the main interview on. Uh, Tim, anything you'd like to plug before we head over to the bonus round? Um, man, freedom the uh, freedom from fear and freedom from you know from there's there's so much oppressive thoughts and ideas circulating you know from mainstream media to you know like some podcasts to Twitter to, you know to Parler to Instagram um, like. I can't live my life like that. And I, and I can't imagine someone else being healthy and living their life like that. So everything you want is on the far side of hard work. And yeah, you have to believe that it's worth the effort. You know, like we're talking about doing these hard things, man, I'm, I'm telling you, it's so sweet on this side um, of, of hard work. So that's my plug. Go do hard stuff. Nearly everyone tries to sell something with a plug. You just uh, sold a dream. That was amazing. And man, uh, with, with the rising tides, all ships raise, you know? I believe that. And I, I think, you know, we're lowest poverty and world hunger in the existence of our species. We have um, lowest human slavery, um, even though it still exists, you know, sex traffickers. Um, like, we, we are living in an unprecedented time of prosperity, and yet we talk so much about how horrible things are. And, um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm selling a dream because like, if everybody's doing better, I'm doing better. So everybody do better. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, Tim, uh, for those that are us here, I just want to thank you for your time. It's been tremendous to, to sit down and chat with you, uh, having followed your MMA career and then later, uh, reading about you, listening to so many of your interviews. It's uh, it was fantastic just to have a chance to ask the questions myself. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, for those that are uh, Patreon contributors, make sure you go on over to our Patreon for the bonus round. Thanks again, Tim Kennedy. Yes, sir. Man, 
if you can sit there and listen to Tim Kennedy and not feel like a lazy pussy, then either you are more a man than me or you're completely ignorant <laughs> to your own worth. <laughs> man, what an incredible dude uh, and intense and he believes every word of what he said. If you'd like to hear more from Tim, check out the bonus content at Patreon. Uh, or if you'd like to see the raw, unedited video footage, including the bonus round, sign up to be a tribal elder at patreon.com forward slash managing violence. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you check out everything Tim does at Sheepdog Response and Ranger Up. And make sure you check out our website at www.violencepod.com for this episode and all our previous episodes, all 53 or 4 or 5 or something, like 50-something episodes. They're all over there. Make sure you check them out. Next week, we have legendary MMA trainer, the Pitmaster, Grandmaster of Kaju Kenbo, Mr. John Hackleman. Ironically enough, Tim's one of Tim's first trainers. Uh, so join us next week for the Pitmaster. It's a great conversation as well. I hope you're staying safe out there. I'll talk to you next time.